Welcome to Kids Considered, where two pediatricians discuss children's health topics of interest to parents in a podcast with new subjects considered every episode. I'm Dr. Lena Vanderlist. And I'm Dr. Dean Blumberg. And we're both pediatricians at UC Davis Children's Hospital in Sacramento, California. Let's hear about this episode's topic. Hi, Dr. Dean and Dr. Lena. My name's Elizabeth, and I have a question about pets. I'm interested in getting a pet for our household, but I know that pets can carry germs, both cats and dogs, even when you do your best to keep them clean. I know that that they can have germs in their mouths and in their paws and skin, and I'm wondering, is this a concern for my children? Thanks so much for your help. That is a great question from Elizabeth. Thank you for that. A real possum question. Um, <laughs> Cats off to her for thinking about the, um, you know, germs that might be associated with pets. Yeah, something that I really care about and really want to pay attention to for sure. I think we probably have already done too many puns so far. What do you think? <laughs> yeah, I agree. I agree. The animal puns can can keep coming. We'll try and incorporate them later. <laughs> okay. Well, we both like pets and animals, so I think it's a really good opportunity to talk about them. Mm-hmm. Well, I am an animal lover. I have been since I was little. Currently, I have a lab, black lab, who's two. Her name's Layla, and I have two cats, Mo and Seymour. And I've always been more of a dog person. Mm-hmm. I know. And so I think what we should do is one of the things we need to do is talk about the benefits for children of having a pet in the family, as well as some of the potential problems. Mm-hmm. And so we want to talk about considerations for having a pet along with different breeds, different types of animals, what's the right age for pets, what pets might be best for you and your family, and some of the dangers and problems to look out for during this episode. Right. So Elizabeth mentioned germs and with dogs and cats, and there's other pets that can pose potential dangers. But first, let's talk about the potential benefits <laughs> of having a pet in the family. The first thing that comes to mind for me is that they're incredibly loving, especially like dogs or cats. You come home and they greet you and, you know, when you're having a bad day, you can cuddle with them. So it really creates this layer of richness within the family. I mean, what's better really than coming home and your dog is excited to see you and they're wagging their tail? I mean, it's really this unconditional love and they're a faithful friend. Right. And having an animal in the family might help a child learn about another living being and how to care for something that's not yourself. Mm -hmm. So we're in 100% agreement about pets that there's a lot of benefits, right? Right. Having a pet in the family can be great for kids. And for the whole family. Right. So when is the best time to get a pet? At what age? So I think three years and 10 months is the optimal age to get a pet. (laughs) (laughs) I know you're joking with that one because, you know, it's going to be different for everybody. Yeah, absolutely. I was was joking around. There's no perfect timing on getting a pet. Mm -hmm. But there are things to consider for different kids at different ages. So when we think about older infants and toddlers, they like to do things, they're touching things, they're exploring their world with their hands, and they're more likely to pull a dog's tail or put a toy on its back just to see what will happen. 
Mm -hmm. And so at this age, it means parents really need to supervise their children's interactions with the family pet very closely so that your child and your dog or cat are safe and happy. Mm -hmm. And then there's the individual personalities of both your child and your pet. Right. You want to make sure that the pet you have is child-friendly and not aggressive. So for dogs, for example, puppies are so cute, but they do go through that nippy biting stage. And so, you know, that's probably not a good match for really young children who are likely to get bit and be scared by that. So at this age, an older, more easygoing dog might be more appropriate for the young kids. Right. A really patient dog would be (laughs) good. Uh And then around five or six years of age, children are mature enough to really handle and care for a pet. So that's a good age if you're thinking that the pet will be their companion and maybe you want to give them some chores like feeding the pet. It's really important to talk about expectations for having an animal before you get the pet or even as kids grow up with a pet. So, for example, when you have a dog, how many times a day are you going to walk it? How many times a day does it need to be fed? Who's going to pick up the poop in the yard? Mm -hmm. You know, I'm always fighting with my husband about that. Who's going to train the dog? With mm-hmm. a cat, it might be who's going to scoop the litter, who's going to feed it, or a hamster, who's going to clean the cage. So these are mm-hmm. all really important things to discuss before getting a pet. Yeah, absolutely. We've been talking about pets in general. Let's talk more specifically about particular animals and specific breeds. So like my Layla, a black lab, mm-hmm. who's the cutest And Layla is great. She's a really happy dog, but I wasn't really thinking that specific. All right, so let's talk about dogs first and specific dog breeds. Okay, so Layla's a retriever, and retrievers in general are really great with children because they have a reputation for being gentle. And beagles are another good choice with children because they are also very gentle dogs. Mm -hmm. So that would be like a golden retriever, Labrador retriever, Those can all be good. Some breeds are a little bit less predictable. So if we think, of course, about pit bulls, boxers, German shepherds, Dobermans, miniature French poodles. You know, it's always hard for me because sometimes I think, oh, these breeds get a really bad rep. Like I know some loving and amazing pit bulls that were, you know, raised by great families. So every dog is unique and we don't want to, you know, throw anyone under the bus, but they're just uh, sometimes you have to be a little bit more careful around these breeds. Right. So these are generalizations. Mm -hmm. And you might also want to take allergies into account. Yeah, of course. So some animals can elicit an allergic response from their fur or their feathers, but fur is not the only animal allergen. There's also saliva and dander, their shed skin cells, and all of these may cause allergies. And they can make allergic diseases worse. So we know that asthma, eczema, or that seasonal allergic rhinitis or runny nose or hay fever can all be exacerbated or worsened by animal allergies. Cats more commonly cause allergies compared to dogs. And this may be especially problematic in children with asthma, since about three quarters of children with asthma also have allergies. Wow. And 40% of children with asthma have allergy symptoms when they're exposed to cats. That's a pretty large percentage. It really is. So no animal is completely non-allergenic because the allergen is in their skin and their saliva, but some are less allergenic. So for example, poodles, Portuguese water dogs, and sphinx cats are less (laughs) allergenic. Are sphinx cats those hairless cats? 
Yeah. I mean, yeah. I don't know. Those I'm sure some people are into those, but I can't imagine a hairless cat for myself. Yeah. And it's, then it's of course, caged <laughs> pets like hamsters, rabbits, or guinea pigs are not going to spread dander as much since they're typically in a cage as an animal that, you know, goes throughout the house and potentially sits on your couch and mm-hmm. all that. Reptiles and amphibians don't produce the dander that warm-blooded animals do, so frogs, lizards, snakes, and turtles may be good choices for allergic children or families. But turtles and reptiles, I wouldn't think that you, as an infectious disease doctor, would recommend these. Yeah, you're right. There's some particular infectious concerns with them, but we'll come back to the (laughs) trouble with turtles later. (laughs) And we can't forget about fish because they're fun to watch. They're great starter pets. They're pretty easy to take care of and no risk for allergies. Right, and pigs are increasing in popularity, and they have hair, not fur, so they're less likely to cause an allergic reaction. Wow, I didn't know about pigs were increasing in popularity. Yeah, yeah, apparently they're a popular (laughs) pet choice these days. (laughs) So what do you do if a member of your family is allergic to the family pet? So the obvious option is to get rid of the pet, but if you're really deeply attached to the pet, then that's going to be awfully difficult, right? Right. So there are luckily some other options. So for example, you can have the animal live outdoors, which is an option. Of course, you can have a dog house or maybe in the garage, there's this place for them to sleep. That way the allergens don't come inside the house. Mm-hmm. And bathing the pet once a week may decrease the concentration of allergens, although this may not be feasible with some pets. Yeah, no, my cats are not going to get into the bathtub. <laughs> yeah, and specifically, I was thinking about cats who would be <laughs> yeah, very, gonna, very painful. Yeah. But it, you can also keep the pet out of the allergic person's bedroom, so that way they're not having the allergen exposures right in their space when they're sleeping. Mm -hmm. And you can also fit forced air ventilation units with filters to reduce circulation of allergens within the house. And this works best for cats as their fur is light and it it floats more. Mm -hmm. And of course, vacuuming frequently to remove shed allergens, which will work best for dogs and and cats as well. Mm -hmm. And then hand washing. Frequent hand washing after touching the pets will decrease exposure to the allergen. Right, especially if they're petting the cat or the dog and then they're touching their face. So making sure they wash before they touch their face. Another option is you can try controlling the allergies with medications. And if there are persistent problems, you want, might want to consider seeing an allergist or a physician that specializes in allergies. Mm-hmm, because they might want to do skin or blood tests to confirm the allergy is to the pet rather than allergies to pollen or mold that the pet may bring into the house after being outdoors. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that would be horrible. You get rid of your pet, and then you realize that it was really like an outdoor allergen. (laughs) Right, right. So they can clarify (laughs) that. You want to make sure you (laughs) confirm that. And then, of course, allergy shots are another option to consider, where they can give you a small dose of the allergen and build up your sort of immune response so that you don't have those big allergy attacks when you're exposed to that specific allergen. Yeah, to build up the tolerance. But avoidance of the allergen is really preferred. Mm -hmm. But we should put this into context that pet allergies only account for 10 to 20 percent of allergies in the U.S. So the vast majority of allergies are caused by other things, be it environmental like pollen or ragweed or even food. 
Yeah, so we don't want to be too negative about pets with all the allergy discussion. Right, but I, I, we can't quite go away from negative yet because I do want to go into <laughs> reptiles and turtles. Yeah, so the issue with um, many pets may transmit infectious diseases to children, and the reptiles and turtles are a concern for salmonella. And then there's cat scratch disease. Right. So cat scratch disease is mainly transmitted by kittens. So these are cats less than a year of age, and they can transmit it obviously by scratching, but it's also on their saliva. So just licking can transmit that. Mm -hmm. And you already touched on salmonella, which salmonella can cause diarrhea and other serious infections. And all reptiles, turtles, everything carries salmonella even when they're healthy. So anyone handling them could potentially be infected. Right. So, yeah, even healthy reptiles and turtles can carry them. Mm -hmm. And so that's why it's so important after you're playing with your little turtle to wash your hands before you make a sandwich or you touch your face <laughs> or anything. There's also an infection that many people may not have heard of that can be transmitted from pet mice or hamsters, and that's lymphocytic choriomeningitis, or LCM. And when he says many people may not have heard of it, this pediatrician is one of those people. Uh -huh. I have never heard or seen this, so it must be exceedingly rare. I never mentioned that like when I consulted on a patient of yours and put that in the differential <laughs> diagnosis. <laughs> I don't think so, unless uh -huh. I just ignored it. Um, so uh -huh. children can become infected with this by ingesting or breathing a tiny portion of the pet's dried saliva or feces or urine. Mm -hmm. So that's kind of gross to think about, but <laughs> infection can result in a flu-like illness, and this can progress to more serious symptoms like meningitis or encephalitis, inflammation of the brain. Right. So it's important to make sure that if you have a gerbil, a mouse, or a hamster, or a guinea pig, that you keep the cage really clean to prevent accumulation of dried feces. And of course, always wash your hands after handling an animal. I don't think we can say don't handle a pet, Dr. Dean, which is what right. you had in here initially. <laughs> but if you have a hamster, I think you're probably going to want to handle it at some point. Yeah. So make sure good, good hand washing, right? <laughs> Okay, then there's um, psittacosis, and that can be transmitted from birds. Sources of infection for this are parrot-like birds, like parrots, parakeets, cockatiels, macaws. Mm -hmm. And this is a pathogen related to chlamydia. It causes fever and cough and can result in pneumonia. So if you have one of these birds and you, you or your child are having really prolonged respiratory symptoms, like an infection that just isn't getting better, just mention the bird to your physician. Right. And clean the cages frequently to help prevent infection. Since infection is more commonly acquired from birds smuggled into the United States, you may not want to be buying your bird on the underground black bird market. <laughs> Get it from a trusted source, like a, a pet store in the United States. Yeah, well, thank you for indulging me about that discussion on infections, and I'll, I'll be quiet about that now. We want to say that most of these are not very common. Right, they're not very common. You know, like we said, we think that the benefits of pets that you have in your life totally outweigh the risks of infection, but it is something to be aware of and something to um, keep in mind if you're experiencing any of these symptoms. And we want to make sure that we buy pets and keep pets in the safest way possible. Absolutely. We've talked about making sure to supervise your pet's interactions, so it's important to be very clear and very straightforward when teaching children not to tease pets 
or not pull on their tails or their ears or grab their fur or hair. Mm -hmm. And don't play with the food bowl because dogs in particular may interpret this as an aggressive action. Yeah, and I think this was one thing that one of our pediatric ICU attendings told me after I was taking care of a dog bite with her was mm -hmm. that she, after she had had her family dog for quite a while and, you know, knew that she was going to be having a child to bring into the home, she actually would hand feed the dog, get some dog food and hand feed the dog so that it was used to having someone in its food bowl. Mm -hmm. um, just because, like you said, a lot of these bites come when a little kid comes up behind when the dog's eating. And of course, animals get territorial about their food. Food. Mm -hmm. And so by having that learned exposure, like, oh, it's normal for someone to be here, uh, you know, having a hand or hand feeding me or putting their hand in my bowl, that that would maybe, you know, decrease the risk for the child. Of course, I would never tell a child to do this. Right. But as an adult, it might be one way of training your animal to be less territorial about the food bowl. Mm -hmm. So that leads us to our next consideration. And that's recommendations for dog food, right? <laughs> <laughs> no, it's recommendations for preventing animal bites. So animal bites are a really important issue. The most common age for animal bites is between five and nine years of age. And about 5% of children in this age group experience an animal bite. And children nine to 14 years of age are the next most common after that to be bitten by an animal. So parents need to establish clear rules for children when they interact with animals. Right. And we already mentioned no teasing animals, treating your pet humanely. Mm -hmm. And don't put your dog on a short chain. They may get anxious and then aggressive. No pulling of tails, no taking away a pet's toy or bone. So, for example, the only time that I've ever seen our Layla get aggressive is when you know, a small child went for her ball or for her Kong. That's just part of, you know, their animal instincts. They're territorial over certain things. So if you know that your animal has something like that, that they're triggered by, it's important to keep them away. Or if it's a stranger's animal, you don't know what things they may be triggered right, absolutely. by. Absolutely. Right. Yeah. And don't disturb the pet when they're sleeping or when they're eating. Mm -hmm. And don't leave a young child alone with a pet. Kids always need supervision with animals. Mm -hmm. And teach your, ch your children not to put their face close to an animal. Definitely. It's good practice when you're going to meet a neighbor's pet. That's great if you don't have pets of your own. But you always want to teach a child how to first approach a new dog. So, of course, you should always ask the owner, is it okay if she comes over to meet the dog? Because some dogs may not do well with young kids. And so, and most owners will know that if they say it's okay, then your child can come over and stand still and kind of let the dog smell them. Sometimes you put out your hand, you know, not going to reach for the top of the head of the animal, but kind of below so that they can sniff the animal and then slowly, you know, start petting the dog. And make sure that your children know not to pet an unfamiliar dog or cat and to stay away from yards where dogs seem really unfriendly and aggressive. As kids get older, you can teach them the signs that an animal may be feeling threatened. Some of those would be like a stiff tail, so they're not wagging their tail. Their body kind of gets rigid. Sometimes the hair on their back goes up. They'd get that mean and angry bark, you know, or sometimes they're kind of just kind of crouched or they're staring or they're um, not doing that playful, like excited tongue, you know, tongue is licking, the tail's wagging. You can kind of learn, teach your kid to learn those cues. 
And if your child is chased by a strange animal, teach them to stand still or slowly back away and avoid eye contact or sudden moves around the animal. If they are being chased while riding a bike specifically, this actually has happened to a few people I know. It's actually not best to continue to ride really fast because it's like a chase a chase mechanism. So you want to get off. You want to put the bike in between you and the dog or the child and the dog, and then hopefully the dog will lose interest. For puppies and kittens, they're really cute, but be careful touching them when the mother is around because she may be very protective. Mm-hmm. And of course, we want to avoid all wild animals. Right. They're really unpredictable, and they may carry serious infectious diseases that can be transmitted to children, like rabies, for example, or hantavirus or plague. Mm-hmm. So definitely avoid contact with raccoons, skunks, foxes, or rodents. Most wild animals come out at night and avoid humans. So if you see one in your neighborhood or yard during the day, then it's possible they might have something like rabies. So in this case, call your local animal control and notify the public authorities. And if you come across a sick or injured animal, notify the health department so that you don't risk getting bitten. And if your child does suffer an animal bite, it's important to take care of the wound to prevent infection. So cat bites in particular, they have a very high risk of infection since the long, thin teeth of a cat, this results in a puncture wound and it's very difficult to clean these. First, if they're bleeding from the site, then apply pressure to the site for five minutes until the bleeding stops. And then wash the wound thoroughly with soap and water as best you can. And then, of course, call your pediatrician. Right. If the wound is large or the bleeding won't stop, then continue applying pressure and take your child in for treatment, either to your pediatrician's office or the emergency room. Some wounds might need stitches, and depending on the bite, antibiotics might be prescribed as well. And you should call your pediatrician for any bite that breaks the skin, since this could result in tetanus, so we want to make sure that they're up to date with their tetanus vaccine. And some bites, particularly of those wild animals that we discussed, could transmit rabies. So we want to check to see if the biting animal is immunized against rabies, which is important. Bites can become infected, so look for signs of infection like pus or drainage from the bite, swelling or tenderness around the bite, or red streaks from the wound, or swollen glands nearby. Any wild animal bites should be seen promptly either in the emergency room or by your pediatrician. And when everyone is calmed down, then make sure to process the experience with your child. Right, because we don't want children to be traumatized by the bite and develop a fear of animals, which can commonly occur. Right, exactly. All right, let's do one final word about pets. Adorable? Cute? (laughs) I didn't literally mean one final word. It's just a saying. Okay, so what is the final word? Make sure you are realistic and know what you're getting into when you get a pet. Right, because you're making a commitment, and this will take some time. Dogs and cats need attention every day, including feeding, cleaning up after them, exercise. And then there are pets that don't require as much daily care, like fish, hamsters, birds, turtles. So these might be good matches for younger children so that they can learn the responsibility of taking care of a pet. Or get a goldfish as a starter pet. Definitely. They're inexpensive. You only need to feed them every few days, and then you can change the water just every once in a while. Although I have to admit that I've never had very good luck with goldfish living very long. <laughs> I had one for three years. So, really? Yeah. Wow. I, it can be whisperer. done. You have, to, you have to be a very good pet owner. Uh-huh. So let's summarize today's 
main points talking about kids and pets. Okay, so pets can be great additions to families. Although every family is different, a good age to consider introducing a pet is around five or six years old if you're wanting your child to learn some responsibility for caring for the pet. And of course, adult supervision is needed anytime a child interacts with a pet. Dogs and cats are popular pets, but other pets might be good choices too, such as hamsters, fish, or reptiles, or even more exotic options. Like a pig. Like a pig, right. <laughs> Make sure you're thoughtful about getting a pet, and if anyone in the household has allergies, to consider that as well. If so, there's a variety of actions that you can take to decrease exposure to pet allergens. Decrease the risk of acquiring infections from pets by washing your hands regularly after you touch or play with them and making sure that caged animals have a clean cage. And spend some time teaching your children how to safely be around pets to avoid them getting bitten. And always avoid wild animals. And if your child does get bit, clean the wound as best you can and then call your pediatrician to see if any immunizations or antibiotics are needed. Yes. Let's get back to Elizabeth's great question, which was she was interested in getting a dog, but she was worried about the infection risk. Mm -hmm. I would say that it's great that you're thinking about these things, but um, that by keeping a clean house and, you know, making sure we wash hands, that lots of these um, infections can be minimized. We'd like to thank Samantha Goggin at UC Davis Children's Hospital for suggesting this topic. We also want to thank Dr. Victoria Dimitriadis, a pediatric allergist immunologist at UC Davis Children's Hospital, for reviewing our section on pet allergies, although Dr. Dean and I take full responsibility for any errors or misinformation. And that reminds me of a joke. What? What do you do if a dog chews your dictionary? Hmm. What? You take the words right out of his mouth. <laughs> Unless it's my dog, then she's running around the yard with the dictionary and I can't catch her. <laughs> right. uh, so I'm curious to know why you have not gotten another dog since your beloved, since you no longer have your beloved dog that you used to have. Yeah, we had a wonderful dog, a really well-trained dog. Well-trained before, before we got the dog. We sort of untrained that dog a little bit. And um, we took a break afterwards, and, you know, it was, it was kind of nice having, not having that responsibility of having the dog where, you know, we'd have to you know, leave work and be home by a certain time to walk the dog and all. Um, my wife was walking the dog in the morning, and I was walking the dog in the afternoon, and so she doesn't have to wake up and, mm -hmm. and um, walk the dog right away. And it's, it was kind of nice taking a break. So now we're talking again about having a, getting a dog, getting another yeah, dog. Because they really, they, you know, really brought a lot of joy to our lives. Definitely. I mean, I grew up when I actually wanted to be a veterinarian when I was little. Um, really? So, yeah, you know, pediatrics, veterinary medicine, <laughs> people make the comparison. But I loved animals. My parents were so great about letting us bring animals home like, like stray <laughs> cats and you know they would have driven you crazy because there were probably lots of infection risk there. <laughs> stray cats i had like three guinea pigs at one point we brought a scorpion back from mexico um just oh a lizard lots of mm -hmm. different animals and they really brought so much joy to my life my favorite pet story that i have is we had mm -hmm. mice and <laughs> Our mouse had babies. And so 
my brother and I wanted to take pictures of the mice under those little cocktail umbrellas, you know, just because we <laughs> thought it would be cute. Uh-huh. And so we like were trying to take them out of their cage and put them under this little cocktail umbrella. And it was with one of those like old disposable cameras back in the day. <laughs> and I must have turned and I knocked over the whole cage and there was like 40 baby mice and they went loose across <laughs> around our whole house. So that was just like one instance of the chaos of my um, childhood with pets. But <laughs> Wow. Well, God bless your parents. <laughs> <laughs> they were very tolerant and it's, you know, stayed throughout my life, like I mentioned, and I've always had pets and it's one of the things that really, you know, keeps me sane during busy work hours and other things like that so it they can be really really great to have and i'm sure many kids will benefit from that relationship absolutely that wraps up this episode of kids considered you can find more information on our website kidsconsidered.ucdavis.edu follow us on twitter at kids considered and instagram at kids considered If you have feedback on this show or topics you would like us to discuss in the future, we would love to hear from you. Please call us. Our number is 916-915-3388. Or email us at kidsconsidered at gmail.com. Please rate us on iTunes or wherever you subscribe to your podcasts. Thank you for listening, and we hope you will join us for our next podcast. Kids Considered is sponsored by UC Davis Children's Hospital. 